0: Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. How are you today? All good? I was out in the foyer chatting to some of the most mature senior people, and we were exchanging our story about what medications we're on. I thought, how did I get here? You know, it was only a few years ago we were talking about I like your shirt, I like your jeans. Now it's what are you on? How many tablets? So I decided this morning we're starting a new religion. We're going to call it the Gospel, <laughs> preaching the Gospel. I I rattle when I walk, but uh, there you go. It happens, and uh, but it's it's so good to engage with you as a family. To get to have those conversations in the foyer are great for me. To Just to hear people's stories. I I ask people, how did you come to Christ? How long have you been here? And just never get tired of hearing the stories. Because today I want to talk about something that's very real to me. It's a life message of mine. Last week I shared how I present my body as a living sacrifice to God. And uh, I do, on an ongoing basis, go back to Romans 12 if you were here last week and address my walk with Jesus. And today, I wanna talk about our journey of faith and how we can complete our faith strong. And uh, I wanna share it from my own understanding and revelation. But while I was in prayer for all of us, this morning, I saw this picture in my mind of people that had sort of gotten off to the sides uh, on this journey of faith. It's like you'd gotten off the track and just going, I'm parking my faith for a while. I don't know quite where it all fits. And today I felt God say for many, or for some at least, it's gonna be a re-engaging your journey of faith to getting back on board with the journey God wants you to go on. And I wanna tell you this is livable, it's achievable, it's take home. I often talk about when my mum was alive and, and we used to go there for lunch and she'd cook this beautiful Italian meal and she'd always say, sorry, not cook too much today and she probably cooked enough for an army, and we'd take it home. We'd take the leftovers home, and for somehow it tasted better a, a day or two later when we reheated some of that. You know, And I just pray, as I've shared here before, that what you hear on a Sunday tastes better on Monday, and on Tuesday when you reheat it and apply it. So today's message is not just informative, it can be transformative as you take it home and reheat it tomorrow and the day after and the day after. My opening Scripture today is 2 Timothy 4, verses six to eight. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, Will give me on that day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Three powerful statements made by the Apostle Paul. He's one of my mentors. People say, Who mentors you? Well, I got a lot of mentors in the Bible. And as I follow their mentorship, as I read their life story, the Apostle Paul is a hero in my life. He probably died at around 64, 65. I'm 64, I hope this is not my last message today, but, <coughs> but um, <coughs> that wasn't even put on. <coughs> Excuse me. That worked well, didn't it? He died around 64 years of age and boy, did he go through some stuff. When he was blinded on the road to Damascus and then someone comes and prophesies to open his eyes and to speak into his life, and Ananias, he says to him, listen, God's gonna show you the things you're gonna have to suffer. You think that's not a great welcome into the ministry. Yeah. Hey, welcome into the ministry, I'm gonna show you what you're gonna have to suffer. And yet he embraced the call of God on his life with great passion. Just like he'd been against the church, now he's for the church as Jesus opens his eyes And he gets to the end of his life and he says, I have fought the good fight. Friends, I've lived long enough to know that life can be a fight. You can fight for your marriage or you can fight to leave it. You can fight for your peace or you can go to all the wrong places looking for the wrong kind of peace. And life's a fight, it's a struggle. But hey, if we're gonna fight, why don't we fight for the right fight? Why don't we fight the good fight? He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. You know, friends, as I look across the Bible, only one in five leaders finished strong. Only one in five. That's the average. Some of them finished okay, but you look at the life of David and he finished in the right place, but boy, what a mess his family was. When you look at the mistakes that he made, what it left behind in his kids, And you think it's so sad. I'm glad he finished. Sometimes when I'm going through, when I went through my cancer journey, it's like, God, I don't know if I'll finish strong. I'm just happy to finish. But the good news today is we can finish strong. We can fight the good fight and we can remain faithful. That's different than committed. He didn't say I remained committed. He said, I remained faithful, full of faith. You know, I don't want to die having stayed with Jesus, but die a grumpy old man. I want to be full of faith. I want to finish my life strong. My mother in law died at the age of 92. She called us all in. She had about, I think, 38 grandkids and 50 something great grandkids, 10 children, lived on a farm in the early years of her life and couldn't get to a church. But boy, did she know God. And just before she passed away at Ashford Hospital, she called as many of the family that could gather around. She turns to my brother in law and says, Get the ukulele out. She's about to die in a few hours. And we start singing in the, in the room. The nurses didn't know what was going on. My brother in law, Chris, was playing the ukulele, and she opens her eyes and looks. She goes, You're out of tune. <laughs> You're out of tune. And there we were singing harmonies. A few hours later, she went to be with the Lord. She spoke to her great grandkids. Now make sure you follow the Lord. She called them in and prayed over them. What a way to finish your race. She fought the good fight. She finished her race and she remained faithful. When I look at the life of the Apostle Paul, man, he was beaten so many times, shipwrecked, accused of things he never did, thrown into prison for all the wrong reasons. And then he turns around, and he goes and on top of all that, I'm really burdened for the churches. You think, really? After all that you're going through, you're burdened for the churches? Do you know in the book of Romans, he had to be a theologian. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he had to be a troubleshooter. In First and Second Timothy, he was a father and a mentor. In Galatians, he had to be a warrior. And in Philippians, he was the nicest guy you could ever meet. He was the eternal optimist, and great pastor. He would say to the Philippians, God's begun a good work in you and I know He's gonna finish it. You guys are awesome. That's a great pastor. But pastors can't just do that. We gotta do all that other stuff too. And so here's the life of Paul before us and he gets to the end and he goes, I finished strong and I wanna finish strong. And so today for a few moments, I wanna talk to you about the journey of faith. I wanna share two stories that brought me to this truth. I was in Scotland on a trip overseas and we'd been gone from home about three weeks already and I was tired, but we're on our way to Sweden to do another week of ministry and I was tired. We had to get up at four o'clock in the morning to be able to get to the airport to then fly over to Sweden. And here we are in this really old pub staying on the third floor. There was no lift or if there was one, it was broken. And we had to walk down the stairs with our suitcases at four o'clock in the morning. And as I get to the second floor with my suitcases, I would bought cheap shoes in Scotland. So I had more stuff in my suitcase that I came with. I'd bought presents for the kids and I'm coming down the stairs and the suitcase broke. It just broke open and all the clothes came falling out halfway down the stairs and somehow I can't get everything back in. And I'm kneeling down, feeling sorry for myself. And I said, I wanna go home, four o'clock in the morning. I wanna go home, I've had enough. And in my head came this thought. Do you know how many Christians on their journey of life get to a point where all the stuffing falls out of their suitcase? all the stuff we've put into our lives. And we go, I wanna go home. I don't wanna do this anymore. It doesn't do it for me anymore. Church doesn't do it for me anymore. My marriage doesn't do it for me anymore. And the stuffing falls out of everything. And do you know how much I tried to fit that stuff back in and my suitcase broke? I thought, how are we gonna get to Sweden? And when our driver arrived, he goes, Pastor Danny, don't panic. I've gotta go home, I'll be back in a minute. He comes back a few minutes later with a brand new suitcase. He said, I only bought this a week ago. I thought maybe I'll need it for a trip, but now I really realise what it's here for. And he took my old suitcase, threw it in the back of his car and gave me a new one. And I realised that God doesn't do patch up jobs. He doesn't give us gaff tape to put on our broken suitcase, but He makes us into new creatures and new people when we allow Him to come into the midst of our mess and say, I'm gonna finish my race. If I'd gone home, what was about to happen would have never happened. You see, we got on a plane and we went to Sweden and we arrived in Melmo, Sweden, and it was a pastor's conference about an hour's drive out of Melmo. And they said, oh, Danny, you know, this is a big pastor's conference. There'll be about 3000 people there. And he says, but we don't have young people that can start churches and, and spread the gospel throughout this part of Europe. I remember standing on the platform preaching and felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to ask everybody under 30 to come forward. Had no idea what was about to happen. About 1,200 people sitting in that conference under the age of 30 and people didn't even know they were there. As they came forward onto the platform, in front of the platform, down the aisles, I said to these young people, I want you to walk back into the conference and hug everybody that's older than you and thank them for still being in the race. And as that happened, spirit of God fell. I had a man travelling with me from Adelaide who wasn't a Christian. And he came on a trip with me because he was going through some really tough times. I said, come with me. I was hoping he'd give his life to Christ. He cried through the meetings. Not yet, but I'm still, still connected to him. But he came with me, he couldn't believe what happened. I went back to that place a year later and they said, you know, we've planted churches all over the place with some of these young people. We had no idea the miracle that God did that night. What would have happened if I'd gone home? What would have happened if I hadn't finished my race, that particular stage of my race? And realise the enemy will always come to us and they go, you deserve better. You don't deserve this pain. You don't deserve what you're going through. Why don't you just give up? But let me tell you, there's an enemy that the moment you give up, he goes, you idiot, why'd you do that for? I wanna finish my race and I wanna finish it strong. And I look back over these stories and I thought, wow, I came home with a new suitcase, but I also came home with a new story of the faithfulness of God when you're tired. See, there's good tired and bad tired you can be tired in life for doing the wrong thing or you can be tired, but knowing God's with you and there's a new energy that comes and refuels you. A short time after that, I'm in Africa and we'd been to Zimbabwe with World Vision, digging wells and, and, and providing fresh water for the people in Bulawayo. It was a, an incredible trip and, and i also also been to lots of little villages where people would walk for miles to get to church. No air conditioning, you know, no, just old little huts, you know, and some of them had many diseases and issues with their bodies and they would drag themselves to go and gather. I'm on my way home and I'm in Johannesburg Airport and we're on the tarmac and we're about to take off to come home and I'm just sitting in my seat and I asked God a question. I said, how come... Christians give up so quickly sometimes. And these people have got nothing. We were giving Frisbees and little toys to kids and they were laughing and smiling. When I actually landed in Sydney, the Sydney Morning Herald in the Qantas Club, I was reading it, talked about 11 year old kids in Australia on Prozac. Kids that have got everything with depression and mental illness. Here in a land full of poverty, but there was smiles, there was joy, and I said to God, why is it that in the Western church we don't quite do the distance? All for Jesus, I'm offended. People get offended and move on. They get hurt, they move on. And you think, but these people in some of these countries would love to have what we've got. Yeah. And I don't think they would be as disappointed as we sometimes get. I, uh, my wife took our grandkids to the zoo the other day and there's all these animals and we've got photos of our three granddaughters looking at the, the, the book, you know, the thing that tells you where to go. They were more mesmerised by the, by the advertisement in the paper than the animal right in front of them. We laughed. And I thought, wow. And there I am on the tarmac. We're about to take off. You, you, you never say hijack when you get on the plane. <laughs> Sorry. But you can say tarmac when you get off. Oh, sorry. That's, such, that's not even a bad dad joke, sorry. That's just for any kids that are in the room, okay. I'm on the tarmac and I said, God, why is it? And in my head comes this thought. We don't go on the full journey of faith. And I said to God, I don't know what that is. Didn't have a iPad or iPhone. I just had a, a paper pad and a pen in my pocket and I pulled it out and I wrote what I'm about to share with you today. It became a pattern for my life. It became a pattern for our church at Edge where we took 12 months to go through each step. We began to teach this to our new Christians and it had such an incredible impact on people that embraced it. Can I say this? You can hear the best messages in the world but if you don't embrace them, They won't do anything, you know. Um, And so, um, you know, so here we go. So I wrote this and I'll never forget it, and it's still working for me today. Stage one of the journey of faith, if we can put it up on screen, is the comfort stage. I'm so grateful this morning that the gospel's good news. I'm grateful that the gospel isn't a religion, but it's a loving relationship with the creator of the universe. It's good news, not bad news. I remember reading years ago, Hugh Mackay, who wrote a book on reinventing Australia and they went into the streets of Sydney and Melbourne asking people uh, when they hear the word religion or religious, what comes into their head? And words like pious, judgmental, harsh, horrible words. And then they were asked, when you hear the word human, what comes into your head? Kind, loving, loving gentle the very things that should make Christianity stand out the world out there thinks we're just a judgmental group of people that point the finger at everything that's wrong with the world and that they have no hope coming into our world because they're not good enough how many times have you heard if I was to come to church the roof would cave in people think the church is against them And yet when I came to Jesus and when you came to Jesus, the Gospel wasn't judgment, it was good news. It was comfort. Man, I can tell you some stories, some of them not that appropriate because I used to go to church at Klemzik and one time a guy came in and he got saved and found Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. He got so excited, he went and bought a lottery ticket. (laughs) Called it Holy Doves and he won $200. He comes back and gives a testimony on Wednesday night. <laughs> you know, and you think. but you, have you ever met a new Christian? That they drive you nuts a little bit because they always get the car park. They're driving down the road, God, please give me a car park. There it is. They get the discount all the time. They get to the shop just at the right time. And you talk to new Christians and they get so excited about Jesus. And this new Gospel that they found and John 10.10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. It doesn't mean it's trouble free. It's life in the midst of the storm and when it's sunshine as well. He's there all the time, a rich life internally. And so when we first come to the Gospel, It's stage one, it's comfort stage. You know, the world right now has no answers that never has had, but right now the world is in a mess. And my mind went back as I was preparing yesterday morning when I was a youth pastor for the first week of being a youth pastor, I had to go and visit a young girl and her boyfriend in a house not far from Paradise Church. They were so addicted to drugs, they had no food and I turned up with a box of food. Uh, they both had mohawks. I had a, would you believe it, a mullet. I just wish I had it now and just comb it forward. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but that would be a bad cover up. So um, so I'm turning up to this place with food for this young couple. I may have shared the story before here. And... Um, This girl was called Janine, she was 19 years old. And as I pulled up to the house, a scripture that I'd read the day before in my journaling was Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a person, but the end is the way of death. While on the outside people are laughing, on the inside they're full of grief and pain. Isn't that the same today? People laughing on the outside, partying like mad, thinking the world's got everything to offer. But on the inside, it's pretty empty. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. To cut a long story short, I took the food into to the house. They had sex pistols, posters all over the wall of this rundown house, sitting on a urinated mattress. Then she got me to sit there. And I had to go to a funeral that day, so I had a suit on. I'm sitting on this urinated mattress. She makes me a cup of tea without me realising. then the cat came and licked out of the tea. So I couldn't finish my cup of tea. And I looked at her and I said, Janine's your name, isn't it? She said, yeah. I said, I've been reading a scripture in the Bible. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end is the way of death. She goes, too late for me. I had a baby out of wedlock and my parents who were Catholic, strong Catholics kicked me out of home. At the age of 14, because I was an embarrassment to the family. And I've been running ever since. And now I'm so addicted to drugs, my life is finished. I don't think I can make it. I said, Janine, I grabbed her hands. I said, you can make it. She died that night. The next day I went to visit her. Her boyfriend was sitting on the front porch, bawling his eyes out, saying, Janine's gone, Janine's gone. I said, where's she gone? She left you. She goes, no, she died last night. Remember going to a funeral. They'd gathered all her teddy bears and put them on the open coffin on her body. Parents had now come back in, but it was too late. Throwing themselves over the casket, crying their eyes out. And I realised there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end is the way of death. Her name was Sarah. That's not her real name. A week or two later, walks into my youth office at Paradise and she goes, I'm really needing a relationship. I need a boyfriend. I really feel I need someone to share my life with. And I'm going to a nightclub, but I believe God's okay it. And I believe I'm gonna find someone and I'll be able to lead them to Christ. I believe God's gonna cause me to be an evangelist in the nightclubs. She found a guy, one night stand, got pregnant. And then one day she ended up in my office a year and a half or two later, bruised all over, where domestic violence had become such an issue in that relationship. And she's bawling her eyes out, but you know, I wasn't ready for what she said. She said, why did God allow that to happen to me? God had nothing to do with it. He allows us to make choices. And she'd made a choice that seemed right. But it ended up in the worst possible situation. And so today I wanna say I am so genuinely convicted that the Gospel of Jesus is the good news. It really does work. And if everybody was to embrace it in Australia today, we'd have a better nation. We'd have a great nation. We would have love. We would have peace. We would have joy in our country with challenges. But we said to God, we don't need you. Stuff you. And I asked the question, how well are we doing? I'm grateful this morning that the Gospel's good news, not bad news. It doesn't restrict people, it releases them. And I remember in 1983, just before these two stories, I've just told you, when God calls my wife and I to go to Bible school and we had no money. We're living at Modbury North and we're sitting there going, how are we gonna pay the bills? And we were just crying by night going, we know God's called us. The next morning in my journaling, I read this Scripture. Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into Him and are safe. Second Chronicles, for the eyes of the Lord go through all the earth, chapter 16, I think it is, to strongly support those whose heart is after Him. We had nothing but a call of God. And within the next two weeks, people started turning up on our doorstep with food, money. Someone came and grabbed my car and went and put four new tyres on it. Straight after reading those verses. So take your pick today. Is the Gospel good news or bad news? The world's got bad news. The Gospel's good news. And if we embrace the good news, our lives have purpose. And I'm so grateful today for stage one, the comfort of the Gospel. But then we go to stage two which is connection. You know, when new Christians, when I was at Edge, would come and find Christ, they would say things to me, the people in your church are all so happy. Everybody's so kind. Everybody's so loving. Everybody's so nice. Is this for real? I remember James Morrison, the famous trumpet player, came and did a a concert in our church. And he says to me, are all these people this nice? I remember... uh, He's passed away now, radio announcer on 5AA, really, uh, forgot his name now, it's just escaping me. Um, Bob Francis. Bob Francis, one night on radio, challenging me about the Gospel. And I said, well, why don't you just come and check it out for yourself? And Bob Francis came to a service on a Sunday morning, swearing his head off half drunk. And he goes, man, so many beautiful young people and everybody's so nice. And everybody's so happy. The next night he's on radio promoting the church. He goes, I'm an atheist, but if I wanted to believe in God, that's where I'd go. He changed so quickly because he found a level of connection. And church is about connection and it should never, ever stop. But I wanna say to you this morning, I've seen thousands of Christians that when the comfort is not felt anymore, And the connection's not quite like it used to be. People disconnect. And in the journey of faith, so many churchians never step out of stage two. They go from comfort to connection, from connection back to comfort, from comfort to connection, from connection back to comfort. And they'll go to 10 different churches. The divorce rate in the Christian church is high. People marry a church, then divorce that church. Then they marry a church, then they divorce that church. Now there's people just wanting to do de facto with the church, and sadly for some it's one night stands. But I want to tell you this is a new day. I want to promise you today it's a time to re-engage with the journey of faith because then we go to stage three. When you go to stage three, you're not only just connected to the church, but you embrace the cause of Jesus Christ. The journey of faith. I don't I forgot the the. The things that we have, okay. So have I got the right one? I'm half blind, so you know. The cause of Jesus Christ is stage three. You see, I don't serve Jesus because I love the church. I don't serve Jesus because He just comforts me. I don't just, I love being connected here. But if you were all rude to me, I wouldn't say that's it, Jesus, I'm out of here. Because I've embraced stage three. The cause of who Christ is. Either He died and rose again or He didn't. And if He didn't, let's go and buy a fish shop down the road. Let's do something else. But if this is the truth, in 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there'll be no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Verse 32, And if there's no resurrection, let's feast and drink. Tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled by such things. For bad company corrupts good character. You know, right across the body of Christ, The enemy right now is trying to steal a generation. There's a generation of young people rising up and the youth camp that happened here, I'm praying that what happened there would just continue. It's been a wonderful time and thank you for leading that so well. So on one hand we're seeing young people rise, but I'm also seeing young people leave the church. And what it is, is bad company corrupts. So there's a world out there saying your truth doesn't have to be somebody else's truth. Sister Oprah got it wrong. There's no such thing as your truth or my truth. There's your opinion and my opinion, but there's only one truth. And either the Gospel is the truth or it isn't. And no matter what the woke generation and no matter what's happening out there is saying, we've got to make a choice. And I made a choice. And I said to one of my non-Christian friends, if I'm wrong and you're right, I've got nothing to lose. When I die, I just die and that's it. But if I just happen to be right, as I said last Sunday, Voltaire, who said within 100 years of my death, there'll be no more Bible. 100 years to the day when he died, the Bible Society turned his house into a printing press. The Bible has never been destroyed. It never will be. It will live on as long as we're on this planet. It's the truth of God's Word. And I wanna tell you, either we gotta decide that's it, or it isn't. And I'm gonna hang around with good character people that can encourage me. But let me say this, it's that still connection and comfort, but we got to embrace stage three, which is the cause of who Jesus is. Now, once you embrace stage three, then you go to stage four and make a commitment. If we make a commitment in stage two, you're serving the church. But if you're not walking with Jesus personally, you can't walk with church purposely. So a lot of people serve the church, but we're all human and someone's gonna upset us. And so someone's gonna get it wrong. Someone's gonna say something to us that's not nice. Someone's gonna say crazy things. When I handed the church over, the very first meeting I'm sitting on the front row, there's a new pastor. A guy comes up to me afterwards, he goes, that's the most powerful meeting I've ever been to in all my life. And I'm thinking, I've been journeying with you for 20 years, thanks a lot. (laughs) Then when another pastor in our church left, who was a teacher, I'm in the car park and a guy comes up to me and he goes, what are we gonna do now that the brains have left the organisation? (laughs) I wanted to give him the fivefold ministry right there. (laughs) He touched me. So the flesh Danny. See, flesh Danny lives with spirit Danny. And the one you listen to the most is the one that rules. But you see, I didn't make a commitment to Edge Church. I didn't just hang out there because I felt connected. I didn't just stay there because I felt comforted. I embraced the cause of who Christ is so that when people let me down, He doesn't. And therefore I can go to stage four and make a commitment. Now, when we embrace that stage and we make a commitment, we go to stage five, are you ready for it? Crisis. Someone said to me, Pastor Danny is speaking in tongues, the first sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, nah. They go, really? What is? I said, trouble. <laughs> you make a commitment and for a while, all hell will break loose. When I made a commitment to go into the ministry, my marriage hit the wall for a while. We were fighting like cat and dog. And then getting up on stage, Jesus is the answer for the hallelujah. And then go home and fight. The trouble is I'm the one that did all the talking. Sharon just say, you finished? (laughs) Oh, that could get me going. (laughs) Hurry up, we're running late. Drop on your head. Bang, the shampoo bottle against the wall. Now let's go to church. Hallelujah. And I realised I went and saw a counsellor. I said, can you help me sort out my wife? She just doesn't submit to me. He laughed, Pastor Harry Leesman. He said to me, no, no, we're gonna work on you. He said, I'm gonna ask you to get up every morning at six o'clock and spend half an hour on your own, in a room, asking God to make you the husband your wife needs you to be. One morning, first morning, fell asleep. <laughs> I was in my pyjamas. I walked out in the room, knelt down. This is gonna be the presence of God's gonna fill the room. Fast asleep. <laughs> Second morning, the same. But about a week later, one morning, I just kept pushing through. I started crying. I got up from my knees. We had an L-shaped lounge at Ingle Farm. Have I gone too long? I got a bit... Anyway, I started laying hands on the chairs, seeing a picture in my mind of people's lives that were being touched by God. And to cut a long story short, the place of my problem became the place of God's purpose. I gotta leave it there. Number six, I'm nearly done. Yep, I'll leave it for another day. I'm looking up there. Number six, it's through your crisis that you develop your convictions. It's only when you go through tough times that you discover what you really believe. So your convictions are formed. And then number seven, you live a consistent life. And so I wanna close with this. Musicians, please come. I was writing this on a pad. Now you have gotta understand, I'm not smart enough to get this. I'm just on, a, on an aeroplane writing this and if we can put the second slide up as I finish, is this, the seven stages of the journey of faith. I realised in stage one, comfort reveals Christ. In stage two, connection reveals the church. But in stage three, the cause reveals the cross. And when I saw that, oh, wow, I can see the cross of Jesus. Do I have to be committed? Do I have to serve at the church? Look at the cross. One look at the cross and you won't get cross. One look at the cross and you go, it's the least I can do. Commitment brings you into community. Once you make a commitment, you join others that have made a commitment and you become a community. Crisis develops your character. Your convictions become your credentials. When people talk to me, and I hope this is not self-serving and I'm really finishing now, but listen. Pastor Danny, you lost a son. You've been through cancer, but you're still smiling and serving Jesus. Why? Because my convictions are my credentials today. They're the things that give you credibility and then your consistency will bring you to completion. Father, this morning, like Paul, we wanna fight the good fight. We wanna finish the race and we wanna remain faithful. But please help us in this room today to re-engage on the journey of faith. Maybe people in the room today need to go to stage three. They've stayed in stage two for too long. Maybe some are going through crisis today tired and exhausted and need to be connected and comforted. It doesn't always work in those seven stages as in that order, but they are pillars of our faith, stages of our faith. And while I was in prayer, as we bow our heads in prayer today, just for a moment, I sensed there was a a beautiful drawing of the Holy Spirit today to many in this room to say, Don't be afraid. A man called Winky Prattney, famous preacher, said to me, Danny, if you don't wanna be walked all over, join another club. Because when you serve Jesus, you will be walked all over. You'll be misunderstood, you'll be misquoted. But are you happy to do it anyway? Because of the cross? I'm glad I said yes. It's been tough, but I'm glad I said yes. Some of you have like jumped off the train a little bit in your journey of faith. It's come home Sunday today. While every head's bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Pastor, pray for God to give me the strength, the Holy Spirit to empower me to get back on my journey of faith. I'd like you to slip up your hand while every head's bowed. I'll see it. You can put it down again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Heavenly Father, today, it really applies to all of us. Sometimes I get back on that track six times a week, but help us today to stay on the journey of faith. Help us for it to be real in our lives. I close, Lord, by saying, let this truth reside in our hearts tomorrow, the day after, and in months to come, because we wanna finish our race strong. While every head's bowed, if you're here today and you've never known the love of Jesus, you've never known what it's like to start the journey, knowing that God is for you. He can be in you and you can trust Him with your life. Just everyone pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I want to start a journey with you today. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you want to give me life. And so I open my heart to you. Show me each step. I surrender to you and all your love for me. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. We always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.